We are continuing, and actually this is the last week in our sermon that we have, series or rather that we have entitled, We Are Wildwood. We've said it every week. This is not We Are Wildwood as in look how great we currently are. This is we want to be this. And so we're asking God to make this true of us in our hearts and minds and in our practice. And so we've talked about statements. And I don't know if you've thought about this at any point in your life, but statements are not worth a whole lot. When was the last time that you heard somebody come out and make a statement based on some recent event or happening? Could be something tragic that happened in the world. So I'm going to come out, I'm going to make a statement on this particular thing. And the statement usually goes something like that. If it's a horrific thing that happens and the statement says, I'm against this and I want to tell you that in the strongest possible terms that I'm against it, like 99% of humanity is against it. We didn't need your statement. We know that. We're for so the fact that you make a statement, it's just, it's just words. Statements in and of themselves are useless unless they have something behind it, unless they mean something. Tell me, is this true? I love you. That may be very easy to say, and then you've got a whole life... How do those words come to fruition? It's good to say it. It's better to display it. So when we talk about statements here, what is our vision, purpose, vision, mission statement? We're not saying, man, we want something to look really, really cool on the wall and on our website and on a piece of paper. You go, wow, look at all the work on that paper. Look at that font. It's beautiful. Look at all the decorations. Man, what they've done. I am in a fantastic church. We're saying we want these statements to resonate in your mind and in your heart and for you to say, God, make this true of me. Make me the kind of person that longs for this very thing because we believe this is what the scriptures have called us to. So without a whole lot of uh, review, purpose, vision, and mission. We said the purpose was to glorify God and accomplish his local and global purposes. We looked at scriptures there. The vision is to make mature and equipped followers of Jesus who live with gospel purpose. We looked at the scriptures there that we believe God has burned in our hearts. And then the mission, how do we plan on doing this? We've talked about four environments. Remember, Todd spent a whole month uh, in the month of June on uh, serving freely. That's why I'm not dealing with it in this particular series, but that's a part of the equation. Uh, the first one we've got moving hearts. The question to ask is this. It's a, a self-diagnostic question. Ask, am I consistently present on Sunday mornings? Be it online, be it in person, am I consistently present? Mind, body, soul, all of me here saying, God, move me, stir me, move me from and Two, the second environment we talked about was caring deeply. And the question to ask in this in terms of us, a diagnostic question for ourselves is this, am I regularly connected to others? Am I regularly, meaning is it happening, happening on, a, on a consistent basis, a regular basis? Is it normal for me to connect with other people? Again, not just at a surface level, but at a deeper level. We've made this statement in the past, and the statement is this, the most dangerous life is a secret life. If you are not regularly connected to somebody here at Wildwood, I have great concern for you. 
And so we said this, if there's nothing else that you do, check out a community group, get a part of that. We have new ones that are forming, and, uh, and I think that's going to be one of the best things you do in your spiritual pilgrimage. Today we come to this, and it's called Making Disciples. What do we mean by making disciples? If you have your Bibles, open with me to Mark chapter 3. This is going to be the central passage that guides our entire uh, 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 process, if you will, of us trying to make disciples. In honor of God's words, would you stand as we read just a couple of verses here in Mark chapter 3. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. You may be seated. Very quick passage, but this is the heart of what we're trying to do when it comes to making disciples. Just a couple of things to point out. Note what the chief aim of Jesus' words are here. When Mark is describing the events, when Mark is telling what happened, notice what he's drawing attention to. This is the main thing. What is the main thing? Jesus goes out and he calls. Now, this word means to summon. It is like a father who goes out in order to let his children know dinner is on the table. My dad used to do it with the whistle. I would do it right now. It would pierce all of our ears. It was this long extended whistle. Right at the end, it had this little curly cue. So if anybody else was whistling, that's fine. But we knew dad's whistle above every other whistle. And when it was time to come home and eat, you didn't have to whistle twice for us. Food was good. Dad was summoning us home. He was calling us home. And his kids came a-running. Now hear this. The call goes out to the world at all times. Every church formally on Sunday mornings does this. Every individual believer is going to do this throughout their lifetime. The call is going out over and over and over again to people. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come, find life, find hope, find rest, find forgiveness. As we sang about earlier, where our guilt goes away, our shame goes away. That's found in one place and it is literally at the foot of the cross. The call goes out. Now, who answers the call? God's children. When God calls you just to meet, just to be, just to sit, just to rest, do you come? Can you even hear the call that he gets? Or does your life look like mine sometimes where it is so busy, I don't know how to, dis- to make a distinction between God's voice and any other voice that's out there. The chief aim, Jesus calls them for what? Notice what it says. He appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. 
What does your spiritual pilgrimage look like? Is the primary part of your spirituality being with Jesus? Or is it doing a whole bunch of stuff for Jesus? God has never needed you. He has never needed me. God was content in eternity past, long before there was this thing called a human, this Adam. Long before that, God was thoroughly content, enjoying himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing in eternity past with not one single need. There wasn't a time in heaven they went, man alive, what are we going to do without people? They said, rather, we want to give people joy. We want to create so that folks might, so, so we might put on display our magnificence, greatness. We want folks to, to understand and experience the depth of joy that we have. So he created. And your primary calling is to be with Jesus. I want to say this as, as boldly as I know how to say, if you are not regularly and consistently carving out time to simply be with Jesus, you will never grow to the degree that you want to grow, ever. If you are not consistently carving out time just to be with Jesus, you will never grow to the degree that you want to grow. You may grow in knowledge, which is essential. We'll see that here in about three minutes. You may grow in other areas. You will not grow the way that you long to grow inside. Your growth will forever be retarded. It will be slowed if you don't carve out time just to be with Jesus. And in the day and age in which you and I live in, the, 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 the pace of life that we have, we must do it intentionally and methodically. Please find time in your schedule to be with Jesus. You can get out in the woods, get out in the woods. If it's just late at night on your couch, it's late at night on your couch. If it's early in the morning before anybody gets up, it's early in the morning. Find a time to just be with Jesus, just to listen to him. Jesus calls him. Notice the second thing here, though, that he says so that they might be with him and so that he might send them. Now, this is the beauty of what I get a chance to do and you get a chance to do. This is why I've, I just love interacting with folks who would not consider themselves to be followers of Jesus because I'm not trying to convince them to live a more, a more moral life. I'm not trying to convince them to give something up and start something. I'm not trying to... I, Here's all I'm trying to convince them of, that the person of Jesus really is worth being with. And all I can tell you is the, the change that he made in my life, yes, in terms of my behavior, yes, I was a drunk before, God came into the work that I'm no longer a drunk, that's great, but I'm telling you that the satisfaction in my soul, I, I was missing something that I couldn't articulate until I started meeting with Jesus. And now there's something, I... I I can't explain it. I don't know what to do with that. So Jesus calls the disciples to come and be with him. And then what he's going to do is send them to what? To just let other people know, I want to be with you. We call this fishing. 
And the place to do this is everywhere that you go. I want you to watch a video. You'll, you'll see, you'll, it'll, it'll make sense really quickly, but turn your attention to the screens and uh, watch this video. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good to see you. How do you like my new boat? My new bass boat. I, I love it. Can I show you a few things on it? Come on, let me show you. This is my fishing rod. I, I like this one. And, and Oh, look at this one right here. This one has got a snake skin looking handle because I want to look good when I'm fishing. You know what I mean? So I, I can do it. I can fish with this one and look good. It's, it's good. I like it. And you know, when you're fishing, you got to have a lot of different bait and lures and lots of different colors. And, and uh, you got you to gotta have a lot of different things. And then sometimes the fish just aren't interested at all. They're not interested in anything, and so you got to scare them a little bit. And so you get one of these lures right here, and that, that'll scare them. And you might just spook them enough to get a bite. So if you want to scare your fish, then you can use something like that. Oh, this is one of my favorites right here. This, this is a special hook and lure right here. You don't want to use this when you're trying to go for any old bottom feeder. No, you want this one when you're going for a quality fish. If you know you got a quality fish, then you want to bring out something like this. I just keep it right in the package. It's special to me. So, yeah, you got to have a lot of different things in your tackle box. So you're a fisherman. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm a fisherman. I, 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 I come from a fishing family. Uh, my daddy was a fisherman. My granddaddy before him, he was a fisherman. Uh, all my friends are fishermen. Well, no, that's not exactly true. I, I, I did have some non-fishing friends, but we just don't spend that much time together. Oh, well, why don't you? Well, I love to fish. They don't. So, you know, we just don't have that much in common. So I hang out with my fishing buddies. Don't you like non-fishermen? Well, sure I do. It's not that. It's just that they don't fish. Why do you think it is they don't fish? Because they're stupid. What? Well, yeah. Yeah. They know all about fishing. They know how great it is. And they don't fish. Let them eat worms. They're stupid. Well, couldn't you just go teach them how to fish? Oh, no. No. I, I'm no expert. I, I couldn't teach anybody anything. <laughs> What am I going to do? Go door to door, knocking on doors, saying, hey, why don't you accept fishing into your life, or you're really missing it, or, or you know, hey, why don't you come fishing with me, or let's go down to fishing club this weekend? No, no, the people just laugh at me. I don't want that. Well, I hear this is a great lake for fishing. Why don't you put your boat in the water? Well, you know, I, I like it right here. We, I come down here, got my donuts, I got my fishing buddies, we talk share all kinds of fishing stories. We'll shine up our boats, polish them up, get them clean. I love it. I like it right here. Well, how often do you actually go fishing? Well, it's hard to say. Once a week? No. Once a month? No. Once a year? You know, to be honest with you, I don't remember the last time I went fishing. But you like fishing? Well, sure. I love it. I love everything about it. But you see, that's just it. What if I go to talk to somebody and I tell them how much I love fishing and I'll go on and on and on. You know what that's going to do? That's going to turn them off. It'll turn them off to fishing. And, and, and I'll just come across as one of those wetter than now guys. I don't want that. Yet you call yourself a fisherman. Yeah, absolutely I do. But you don't fish. Well, fishing's not my gift. 
You see, but but I do all kinds of other things. I, I, I'm the president of this here fishing club, and, and we've got a, a building project going right now. We're, we're going to build a big clubhouse where people can come down and talk about fishing. And, and I teach a casting class on Wednesday nights. I'm real busy. Truth is, I just don't have time to fish anymore. Well, why don't you go ahead and put your boat in the water? No, no, I like it right here. It's, it's dangerous out there. Things can happen to you out there on the water. I'm just more comfortable right here with my fishing buddies. Well, how about walking down to the shore and throwing out a line there? No, no, there's rocks down there. And they're slippery. There's mud down there. What if I slipped and fell, got mud all over my outfit? People would laugh at me. I don't want that. But you say this is a great place to fish. Yeah. Say, did I show you all my tackle and all the different things I have? And Oh my goodness, look at the time. I, I really do need to get going now. Well, can you just show us how to catch a fish? Just one fish. No. Okay, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, why not? You seem to have all that it takes. Look, I could go down there, throw my line in the water. Maybe the fish are hungry. Maybe they're not. We could be here all day and not catch anything. I could scare the fish. Another fisherman could come along later. He wouldn't catch anything. Besides, what if I did catch a fish? It doesn't just stop there, you know. You ever spent much time around fish? Let me tell you, they stink. They stink. They flop around. I could bring him into my boat. He'd flop around, get his smell all over everything. They're slimy. You got to clean them. You got to fillet them. <laughs> what am I going to do? You want me to take him home, introduce him to my family? They don't like fish either. You're kidding. You don't like fish? Look, truth is, I can't stand fish. Is that a crime? I don't, I don't think I have to point out the uh, parallels, do I? <laughs> no, for us. Here's the thing. There's a little booklet that I'm reading right now. It's from, uh, from another pastor up in the Washington, D.C. area. And it's, it's looking at why do we feel so much guilt over a couple of areas in our lives? And the first area that we as believers feel the most amount of guilt and shame over is our lack of evangelism. That's what we feel guilty over. Why? Because we know that we have been called to be with Jesus and we know that we have been sent by Jesus. But I am convinced the primary reason why we don't is because we overcomplicate the process. Please hear me on this. Evangelism is simple. It's just trying to make an introduction between friends. Recently, I had a gentleman that I knew had a certain condition. He had called me, asked me for prayer on this particular condition. I have a very dear friend who is a doctor who happens to be an expert in this particular area in Atlanta. Now, what I knew I couldn't do was I couldn't fix my friend's problem. I don't have the skill for that. I don't have the knowledge for that. I, but I do know somebody who can do something about it. Do you know how little time it took me to say, hey, let me introduce you? Because this is the person who can actually do something about it. I'm convinced we think it's our job to clean up people. Got to clean the fish. They flop around. No, you don't. You don't have to make sure that somebody else doesn't sin. And that includes your own children. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus is to just make sure that they understand what we believe about the faith.
the faith, biblical faith, is that we get people connected to the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit then goes to work on their heart and he starts doing some incredible, eternal, life-changing things. It's not your job to change folks. It's just your job to introduce. Romans chapter 10 says this, For everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This word in here that is so vital for us to understand is preach. Please do not limit Romans chapter 10 here to what I'm doing currently right now for the, for the next, what, less than 10 minutes. This is preaching. It is not limited to what Paul is saying here. The term that Paul actually uses in here is one who is heralding, one who is proclaiming, one who is inviting, if you will. Jesus does the summoning, we do the heralding. The word was used of a, of a person who would come in from war and they would, they would uh, uh, make their, their way by horse, whatever, coming into town to let them know the army is coming back. We've won the war. And so the people would gather outside to celebrate the victorious war. That was the herald that would make their way to the people to let them know what was going on. The herald didn't change anything. The herald didn't win the war. The herald was just bringing the message the war has been won. Everyone come, celebrate now. Jesus calls people to himself. We invite others to the person of Jesus. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 16 says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, and that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul is getting at in the big picture um, in this. We are called on the one hand to help folks go from unbelief to belief, and we do that by introducing them to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can call someone to go from unbelief to belief. That's a part of what we're called to. And then what we're called to do is to help them in that process once they come to faith, once they are, they're still a smelly fish. Sinners sin. I can't stop my own sin. I, I, God still hasn't cleaned me up completely in there. And some days you go, did he clean you up at all based on your behavior? We go from unbelief to belief, then from belief to maturity. And how do we go from belief to maturity? Paul tells us right here, it's that you, the church, are able to instruct one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to have teachers. It's good to have those that are gifted, those that can understand maybe a little bit more than you understand, can, can teach maybe a little bit more than you could teach. But the primary emphasis in Scripture is that we are instructing one another. Instructing in what? How to relate to Jesus. How to keep going when life gets tough. We pray for one another. We care for one another, et cetera. 
We are to instruct one another. Making disciples means that we're going to help someone go from unbelief to belief, from belief to maturity, and then finally from maturity to reproduction. Now, I do not want my 14-year-old son teaching people how to drive a car. I'm going to be more effective teaching someone how to drive a car than my 14-year-old son is. Can he do it? Yes. He has done it. (laughs) He can drive a car, but does he have the experience of a 52-year-old dude? See, there's a certain maturity that comes with experience, but more than experience, it is, is practicing the right things over and over and over again. So when someone comes to faith, that's great. They have everything that they need. God has given them everything for life and godliness. They don't have the maturity yet to know how to use it, when to use it, and they sure couldn't instruct someone else just yet on how to do it. What they can do from day one is just tell folks, let me tell you about Jesus. I've just recently started this relationship with this guy named Jesus. I know it sounds hokey. I know. Dead guy, came back to life a thousand years ago. He's still, I, I get it. I understand how silly it sounds, but, but let me just say it's, it's made an incredible difference in my life just in the last week. They can do that. What they can't do is teach you how to read the Bible. Can't teach you how to pray. Can't teach you how to share your faith. Can't teach you how to... They can't teach you. So we're going to help them go from, belief to, uh, from unbelief to belief, from belief to maturity, and then from maturity to reproduction. Paul tells us it happens by you. Don't wait for the church, formal, to grow you. You actively pursue it. I can tell you with all sincerity in my time here, since uh, July of 2016 is when we uh, unloaded the, um, uh, uh, the truck and moved in here. In my time, I'm not aware of us offering as many things as we're offering that are this productive in your spiritual pilgrimage. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that in the past we weren't doing good things. We've been doing great things for a long time. Long before I got here, Wildwood was doing great things. I'm saying in my time here, the the Bible studies that we're offering, the seminars that we're offering, the the ways in which we are offering to equip you, it's incredible what is being offered right now. It's up to you to choose it. Many of you are benefiting greatly. The Tuesday morning Bible study, for example, um, uh, we went from having one single teacher, which was a gifted teacher, called by God, et cetera, to now having eight folks that teach on a regular basis. Incredible things happening in that particular Bible study. Final passage of Scripture that I want to look at comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Now then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When we say making disciples, here's what we mean. Not just followers of Jesus. We're talking specifically about people who are going to actively pursue growing on their own, and actively pursue helping others grow as well. 
So it's not just folks that want to come on Sunday morning. And if all you can do right now is come on Sunday morning and, and, just, been, and, and, and uh, just be ministered to, great. That may be the season that God has called you to in life right now. At some point, God's going to move you, though. You're going to get healed or whatever it needs to happen in your life, and then you are going to minister effectively to others. That ought to be a vision that you have in your head right now. How can you methodically, intentionally help someone else go from unbelief to belief, from belief to maturity, and then from maturity to reproduction? What role can you play in the life of someone else helping them to grow up in the faith. Are you right now actively growing or are you passively staying the same? Here's what I'm convinced of. In our spiritual pilgrimage, when it comes especially to the two aspects of this thing called the wheel diagram, the two spokes of that are prayer and the word. To the degree that we invest in prayer and the study of the word, to that degree will we grow. If I spend a little bit of time in prayer and a little bit of time in, in uh, study of the word, I'm going to grow a little bit. If I make maximum effort, if I give myself fully present, if I'm saying, Lord, if I'm praying out of desperation with consistency, uh, working through those times in which I don't feel like praying, if I am continuing to be exposed to the word, listening to others teach it, studying it on my own, if I get after it in those two aspects, I am convinced we will grow significantly in our spiritual pilgrimage. And what that means is this, we're gonna grow so much in being with Jesus that we're gonna want everyone in the world to be with Jesus. Let me just state it as boldly as I know to state it, and I may be dead wrong on this. If you don't have a heart for the lost world, if you see the world as stinky fish that you don't want to be with, it's likely because you're not spending a great deal of time with Jesus. Because you can't hang out with him with regularity and be changed by him without seeing the world the way that he sees it. I want nothing more for you than to grow. For you to see the beauty of being with the person of Jesus and then to watch God just go to work on your heart as he stirs you for a world. Are you actively growing? Or are you passively staying the same?